Hi, this is Paul, and this is Rough Draft for Sunday, where I run through the current version of my Sunday sermon. Now, here's a quote you've seen a lot of. I think it's a great quote. It happened a couple of years ago. Tom Holland on a podcast. Imagine you've got to write a story in which, for the first time, someone who has suffered the excruciating death of a slave is going to be cast as being, in some way, part of the Creator God, who's fashioned everything, and he's got to be convincing not just to people now, but for 2,000 years and across the whole span of the world. It's a really astonishing thing to have pulled off as a literary feat, and that four people did it is amazing. And, of course, the four people that did it were all writing about the same person, and a lot of what they were doing were, was quoting him. For the last three weeks, we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, arguably Jesus' most famous sermon. This week we're going to look at Matthew 13, which is a packet of parables, and Matthew, unlike Mark and Luke, puts these parables in something of a sermon, and so while these parables are usually sort of treated separately in sermons, I'm going to try to treat them together, and it's been something of a challenge to try to think through, because all of them can stand a great deal of contemplation and reflection and have been subject to that contemplation and reflection for much of Christian history. Um, those of you watching this channel, Jonathan Peugeot has a wonderful video on the parable of the Sawyers, soils, which is, which is worth watching. Now, as you can see, as with the Sermon on the Mount, it's framed in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 13, 1 through 3, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. I get very annoyed when the NIV calls it a lake. Um, sat by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now we'll get into that parable in a moment. But then the section ends in Matthew 13:53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And so Quite intentionally, the Gospel of Matthew has all of these parables put together, and they're meant to be a unit. And I want us to read them as a unit, because even though all of these parables can be read as distinct, distinct entities profitably, to see them as a unit will give you a different sense. And what you'll see within this frame is you'll find the parable of the soils, which is a major one at top, and it's sort of broken up, as we'll see. And the reception of the logos of the kingdom, or the word of the kingdom. Now, the logos, I use that, obviously, within the Peterson realm, because we're talking a lot about logos, about this, something that's deep, just sort of a message, but a, 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 a thread. Um, it's the... The, the, the thing that holds them, to, that holds the world together, let's say. Um, the kingdom among the people. Parables of the future apocalypse, revelation of the kingdom, of kingdom fruit. And parables of the anticipation, apocalyptic um, revelation of kingdom value. Well, he told them many things in parables, saying, A father went out to sow, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Others fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop of hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a strange way to end. Now, if you read commentaries and theological books, you'll find a great deal of discussion about what on earth we mean by parables. They definitely have their roots in Judaism at the time. One of the things that we'll notice, I'll talk more about this, is inside and outside. With these parables, the parables are always comparing two things, not sort of in a strict allegorical way, but it's the relationship between the things that discloses what the parables are designed to disclose. But they only disclose it to people who have a sense of the relationship. And that's why these parables are always, always have a sense of disclosure and concealment. Now, storytelling is one of the best ways to apply the complexity of the world to our lives because the world is too complex for us, us to bring in. And so what we do is sort of we take the complexity and we bring it down to a smaller thing that we can handle and manage. Ever since the age of three, we've been three or four, we've been doing this, and we're very good at it. And, and in fact, story is one of the best way to manage an enormous world by taking something which is too big for us to fully take in and comprehend and turning it into a smaller thing whose relationships are better known, both seen from the outside and felt from the inside. Now, a great example of an Old Testament parable is given by the prophet Nathan to David at the time of the incident with David and Bathsheba. So, of course, you know David sees his neighbor's wife bathing on the rooftop, sends a message to her to come over while her husband is away. She gets pregnant. Um, he comes back from the war, doesn't sleep with his wife. David tries to cover it up. That fails. So then David has her husband killed. Nathan comes in and tells a story about someone in the kingdom who has great flocks and herds and has a neighbor with one little lamb beloved by the family and treated as a pet. And that person, the great flocks and herds, had a guest coming over and didn't want to use one of his own lambs and so had the lamb taken from the neighbor's house and was butchered for the meal. And when David hears this, he stands up and says, that man must die. And Nathan turns it around and says, you are that man. Now notice how the story works. The story takes a, a big thing in the world, basically injustice, displays it before David, and David sees it and says, I can recognize injustice. And Nathan turns it around and says, but you can't recognize it in you. Parables do that. Now, we all have this understanding of sort of the inside and outside world and inside worlds and outside worlds and worlds that are only disclosed by personal experience or by initiation or by something that has happened to us to change us. Go find a group of soldiers who have survived a war. They probably won't tell their stories to outsiders, but within their group, by virtue of the experience, they all have a bond and a knowledge that isn't easily transmitted outside. Talk to a group of mothers who share their childbirth stories. Same thing. Go to an AA group, 
of alcoholics who have fought the battle of recovery. There's a bond. There's something that they share. There's a knowledge on the inside that they share that outsiders can't necessarily simply comprehend from the outside. Yet, there's an outside and an inside perspective. These parables appear one way from the outside, but to those on the inside, they seem a different way. And Jesus points this out again and again in this chapter as we read through them. Is Jesus trying to be obscure? No. But can you simply, can someone simply describe to you what it's like to survive a war or to bear a child or to um, be an alcoholic and recover from that prison? Now, Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be seeing, but never perceiving. For this is the people's hearts, for the people's hearts have become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now again, this sounds cruel, and it's, it's from the prophet Isaiah, and it's right after the Lord shows up in the temple and appears to Isaiah, and who can I send? Send me. And then the Lord says, and this will be what happens. Have you ever talked to someone, let's say, who is an addict? And, you, and you're just begging and pleading because there's a, there's a, the, you see their bondage and they can't see it. Isaiah then goes on to say, well, how long, Lord, will I do this? And the Lord says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are less desolate and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Almost sounds like rock bottom. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So it's a prophecy of devastation, but also of a remnant of hope. Blessed are your eyes, says Jesus, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. In other words, the disciples are part of a line that goes long before them, even before the birth of Christ, and on out into the future. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, or the logos, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears this logos, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the logos, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. 
Now again, we should see it from the outside and from the inside. Um, inside, there's an admonition. Beware of becoming bad soil. Recognize how your heart is and address its hardness or rockiness or the competitors within your heart and produce good fruit. Is your life full? Um, is your life full or distracted so you can't receive the logos, the word, the um, the? That's such a hard word to to translate of the kingdom of God. But then there's the outside observation because you watch how this works and you watch it among around Jesus. Um, Jesus talks, people don't listen. People are busy. The logos sowing is wasted seemingly. Then you have the parables of, a f of future apocalypse, the revelation of kingdom fruit. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then harvest the wheat and bring it to my barn. Now again, you see, he tells the parable, there'll be some other parables, and then we'll have an explanation. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, then it came, um, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Notice in the previous parable, the birds sort of have a negative connotation. Now the birds are positive. And in fact, birds often stand for, they can stand for spirits, but they can also stand for the people of the nations. He told still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Think about how much flour that is. Until it worked all through the dough. Thinking about, think about kneading 60 pounds of flour. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using parables. Well, then again, why? Well, because they illuminate, but they also speak to people who have had a particular experience or who are initiated, who are somehow on the inside. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Notice what Jesus said about the prophets. Something is going on. You can see it all the way back to Nathan and before. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. So now we have the outside and the inside again. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned into the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a blazing furnace, 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Notice the blazing furnace and shining like the sun. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Remember, he said that before. And we ponder. And then there are a few more parables. Parables of the anticipated apocalyptic revelation of the kingdom of kingdom value. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Notice parables. It's hidden, but when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now he sees the value. It's disclosed, and it's out in the open. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had to buy it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then he sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Now, one of the things that you'll notice from these is that these would all be parables that people around the Sea of Galilee would be able to identify with physically. Every day the fishermen went out and they dragged their nets through and they bring the haul in and they, this is a good fish, this is a bad fish, this is a good fish, this is a bad fish. And Jesus is saying, this is what it's like. You see this every day around you. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sorry, I hit the mouse. Have you, all, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Skeptical. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become... A disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out, notice the hidden, inside, outside, who brings out of his storehouse new treasures as well as old. And we've seen that through the whole story. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogues, and they were amazed. Where did this man get... Notice, you get, you bring it out, this wisdom and these miraculous powers. Well, are they on the outside? Will they understand them? You see, there's this is all nested together, parables within parables, understanding and seeing, hidden, disclosed. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him because they couldn't answer the question. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Notice how this started. To whom has, much will be given. To whom has little, even what they have will be taken away. To the alcoholic that can't get recovery, he just keeps going down. To the one who gets recovery and works the program and begins to work in his life, you have wisdom and knowledge 
and more perhaps than someone who has never had that burden. The disciples came to him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, this is difficult, of course, because until Pentecost, and even after that, the disciples can be fairly clueless. And, in the, and then in the Gospels, they're consistently clueless. But Jesus says, it's given to them, and they don't even fully know it. Whoever has will be given more, and they, who, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Jesus is honest with them. His kingdom is a free gift, and his kingdom costs us everything. There will be dramatic winners and losers. Should this surprise us? Aren't there always dramatic winners and losers in this world? Jesus says, strive to win, even though what you're winning is really a gift. The sower has come. The sower is here. The kingdom is sprouting among us. If you have eyes to see, you can see it. If you have ears to hear, you can hear it. The sower was murdered in public. Hmm. The sower is risen. Hmm. Everything he's told you is true. It is a free gift of abundance, and it's all around you. It is a costly reality that, as with the sower, will cost you everything. That's true, too. So what do you make of this? In many ways, all of this is a provocation. These soils, good soil, bad soil, you see it played out in the world. What about your own heart? Weeds and wheat, you see it played out in the world. What about with you? Hidden treasure, have you seen it? Are you looking for it? Storied pearl, have you seen it? Are you looking for it? When you find it, do you sell every everything you have? Do you make it the central pursuit of your life? Sorting of fish? Good fish, bad fish. Red fish, blue fish. These are the stories you live by. These are the stories you live through. These become a filter through which you begin to understand the world. You begin to understand inside, outside, hidden, disclosed good and bad, and the design is to orient us and to provoke us to live a certain way. <laughs>